Today on the Arkansas Moderati Podcast, sponsored by the Purple People Project, we talk about Vortex and their efforts to put quality candidates in all races in Arkansas, especially the House Congressional Districts, plus the team's huge drive to build bench strength across Arkansas from school board to JP all the way up to governor. We talk about national politics, dive in just a little bit and talk about Lord Farquaad and Timon, also known as Ron DeSantis and Vivek Ramaswamy and the role that they played in this debacle of a debate and how in the hell is Sarah Huckabee Sanders not part of that island of misfit toys. We talk about the ongoing role of empathy and curiosity in bringing good Arkansas Republicans Parenthetically, non-MAGA Republicans, good Arkansas Republicans, and Democrats together to break the supermajority and bring back non-authoritarian rule to the state of Arkansas. There are great Arkansas Republicans out there and good Arkansas Democrats. We've got to start talking to one another. We also talk about the Sanders administration to wipe out black and brown contribution to Arkansas history with stroke of a pen. That's right, brown folks. You did not help build this. We talk about it. Stay tuned. So let's talk about Vortex for just a minute. You and I both went to the Vortex meeting last week that was held in the beautiful National Park of Hot Springs, Arkansas. I'm impressed by Chris Jones and heartbroken that he's not my governor. Rob Ryers, he kept saying every once in a while you hold your nose and vote for somebody because you don't have any other choice. That was definitely not the situation I found myself in casting a vote for Chris Jones. I was excited to have an opportunity to cast my vote for such a quality candidate. And Rob was right. I, there have been moments in my life where I have not been that enthusiastic about the people that I've had as a choice and zero regrets about casting my vote for Christian's Vortex seems to have an understanding that there is a lack of infrastructure in the state that at every level of the political discourse that will put us in a situation where we can begin to kind of rest back some of the influence of democratic voices in this state that would make it possible for us to have a more reasonable political dialogue. I was encouraged to hear that they're planning to train people from Everything from door knockers to pollsters to campaign managers, they're going to offer instruction on all of those things that, frankly, just does not exist in Arkansas right now. Ryersey saying that there were, what was the number of people that the one campaign manager, how many campaigns was he running? Was it nine? Nine campaigns, one campaign manager, yeah. Wow. Like, that just sounds like my, I got a migraine headache just hearing that. It, It sounds like important work that they're doing. They've got the right leadership. But to give everybody who's listening the idea of exactly what they're doing, to define what they're doing, Vortex has become synonymous with Chris Jones because it had the name came out of one of his campaign talks that he gave about what lifts a bee. But Vortex is really about finding suitable, qualified, really good candidates to for the four U.S. representative slots that come out of Arkansas. So in the four regions that we have, the candidates last time lacked in Great ahead, quality go, or yeah, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to just, say out loud. Right? It. Just they lacked quality. They lacked the electability that were necessary. The electability that was necessary. We had one person run as a Democrat 
who actually was an election denier, which is just absolutely insane. I don't want a Republican running that's an election denier, much less somebody coming from the other party. So what they're trying to do is to crowdsource the crowdsource the nominations of people to run in these elections because none of these elections should go uncontested. And even, I, God, it may be even worse to have a really shitty candidate in one of these spots. And they've done a really interesting thing. They've made a nomination process so that people can nominate people that, that might not raise their own hands. And then the team at Vortex talks to these people on subsequent calls and discusses, you know, what they want to do and tries to get to know them. They set out to get about 40 candidates because they felt like if they could get 40 nominations, that would be 10 per district. And out of 10 people, they could find one. They've wound up with, I think, 68 candidates as of then to sift through and try to find the right ones for these uh, districts. They feel like they found three good candidates for for three of the districts, and one of them is still open and they're still working on it. But the good news is that the people who don't make the cut, who don't have the experience level or they're not quite ready to go on the national stage, there is a whole we, we you know, as Democrats, they have zero bench strength and they oh. don't have an apparatus the way the, the Republicans do to put people into place like chess pieces. And so what you have then is if there are 68 candidates that have been nominated and four of them become actual candidates for the district roles. Then you have 64 people to use like chess pieces and put into different roles and say, maybe you need to be a JP and to get that experience for two, four, six years. Maybe you need to be a state rep. Maybe you need to any of these roles, school boards, because school boards are so important right now. It's just so blatantly obvious that we have neglected the role of school board because now, you know, you get the wrong people in there and suddenly libraries are closing and all kinds of crazy shit's happening. So what they're trying to do is to create bench strength, but they're focusing on the four national districts first. Now, Tom, as I understand it, that the other thing that their nomination process is supposed to help with is you might talk to some of those people that aren't interested in running for office but they're interested in doing whatever they can to help candidates get elected. And so you end up with nominations that help you identify support staff, uh, right. which to me, you know, like that, I don't know how many times we've had the infrastructure discussion <clears throat> with, <clears throat> sorry, with people that were trying to get a ballot initiative or literally anything on the left side of the aisle accomplished in this state. There's just not, the, there yeah. are not the doors to knock on to to find those people right now. And we lived through it. So I've got a very and right. I've got a very close personal connection in my life that ran for office last year. And in the beginning of her campaign, she had all these people coming, Oh my God, I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll do this, I'll do that. And just through life, they didn't do it. It's because those are the people that were doing it out of a sense of friendship. And right. that's great. But it, we need the people who are doing it because they're trained to do it and they want to go out and make a difference by going out and either knocking on doors or, or registering people to vote or things like that. And so I think, yeah, identifying these people, because the people who nominate, the people who take the time to nominate are also showing their hand that they're very engaged in the process, even in, in the fact that they're nominating. So if you have 68 people that were nominated, you've got twice that many people that that are engaged in the process. And that's right. how it needs to build out. I feel like it's a, a many hands situation in a way that that any if you really believe that many hands make light work, there's no place that is more true than in politics. Right. And I just think what they're doing and the approach that they're taking is really something. I'm a former Republican. I'm not ashamed to say that it, it becomes apparent that in off year 
when it's not a, a cycle that a lot of Republicans are doing some shady stuff to keep themselves afloat. What Chris and Rob and, and the team did there is decide what is the best long-term inc- impact we can have on the state of Arkansas with our time between these elections and building bench strength and driving people to understand that there is a big need and you can be trained to do some of these things that you think maybe you can't do. It's a very worthwhile thing. So I encourage everybody to go to vortexpack.com and take a look at their website and donate but also nominate and donate your time and learn, maybe go to some of the trainings and learn how to do the things that are necessary that we can uh, break the supermajority. Because folks, the most important thing that we have fa- facing us in the next in the next years is breaking the supermajority. If we don't have a supermajority, then it matters less that we have a shitty governor. You can have a shitty governor and a decently divided legislature and get some good things pushed through. But if you have a crappy governor or a governor with an agenda, a governatrix with an agenda and a carpet bagging team and a group of completely villainous, blood-sucking monsters sleeping yeah. in coffins filled with dirt from their homelands every night, hanging upside down like bats. Yeah, I'm not in the same room with him. I can't shoot him with a dart gun, so he's just going to go. But the legislator, we, we even talked about this before. We know for a fact that the legislator from our hometown has said, I wish that I didn't have to vote the way I voted. You didn't have to vote the way you voted. And if right. you had cojones, you wouldn't have voted the way you voted. But because it's a supermajority, they feel like that they have to go along. And so therefore, you become an autocracy, a democratic autocracy, because the and this is what they want for the national scene as well. So every time something like this happens in a state like ours, it's a a learning experience to figure out how to implement it in in the top levels of government. If you have a supermajority, then you have you basically have an autocrat. It's just that's just the way it is. And we're in a place uh, right now where it's. Not only is it important, like you said, to to build consensus so that we can get the good ideas in, I can't think of anything that's more important yeah. right now than that. Because there are Republican legislators out there that want to have more compassion for the underserved com- people in the community. Exactly they, right. they want to have more compassion for the gay and lesbian community. They want to have more impact on the way that the education system grows. But the ideas that they bring to the table don't matter. They're there for one reason, that's casting that vote. Right. And as you and I've talked about before, our hometown rep here is not abnormal in any way. He says to us, hey, if I get primaried, if I don't go along, then yeah. you'll get somebody weirder next time. It'll be somebody more radical. But the, the at the end of the day, the radical guy and you, Mr. Milk Toast guy, are voting the exact same way. So it doesn't matter. Right. So we've got to break the supermajority and get the legislators trying to talk to one another again so that they can improvise and and collaborate and put laws in place that help everybody and not just one party. I love when these guys get on, they're like, percent of the state didn't vote for your candidate. Two things there. Number one, fine, if that's the truth, which it's not, but 38% of the people, then their wishes are just out. You don't consider, you don't care about anything that it takes to help them with their lives. And secondly, we're a non-voting state, so it's not thirty right. percent of the people. It's, right. It's we don't know what it is. Which is so a, you have a mandate responsible on, for fixing. To say you have a mandate for sixty-five percent of the people that vote in this state is I mean, mortifying. Like I, I, every time those people mention a mandate, I think you're talking about such a tiny percentage of the residents of this state. Let if you just leave the Democrats out of it. You inspired such a low number of the voters of this state to come out and cast a ballot for you. 
to then turn around afterwards and say that we're going to shove this wildly unpopular stuff down. And the worst part of the unpopular stuff that they're passing is that long after these carpetbaggers move along, this state will be dealing with the wreckage of the wildly unpopular policy that they implemented. It's just. That's exactly right. And they'll be gone into a place where they can look back and say, when we implemented this, it worked really well. Well, that's because there was no time to see the the implications of the bullshit things that you put into place and what it was going to bring to the communities. But make no mistake, they're going to be massive changes in the way that the schools are operated because of the LEARNS Act. They're going to be massive changes in in a lot of things. Just the simple fact that we have brushed under, we can't keep up with the the news cycle. We've already brushed under the rug the fact that we we signed let we we put legislation in place to to put children back to work in places oh they God. shouldn't be working that we yeah. all of these things that that have come about because of the supermajority and now the the session is over and they're moving on to the next thing but the reality is we haven't even seen the implications of what's coming groups like vortex groups like capes groups vortex and capes especially is a bipartisan group right and that's a very encouraging part of this whole thing is because they they had to make decisions based on the fact that okay we're going to have some republicans in here with us and i made a point at the at the vortex meeting the other day that we've got to engage right thinking republicans good solid conservative arkansas republicans not the maga group because we really need to be able to put a a dividing line between what is MAGA and what is traditional Republican values because right, they're two right. completely different things. Absolutely agree. And if you can, if we can reach out to this twenty percent, thirty percent of the people that are conservative, but they don't feel comfortable about what's going on, then we can make inroads on this whole thing of breaking the supermajority. However, if we're stupid enough to walk out there and call every Republican a racist and every Republican is a horrible person and every Republican is a Trump supporter, then we are going to lose this battle right. from here on out. The end of story. You cannot you cannot backward calculate a win in any sense from supermajority to governor to anything else if we're walking around calling all Republicans racists. Right. Yeah, it's going to take a coalition. We're not going to get you're not going to convert people. You're going to have to build something that has broad appeal that people can understand and they can support. And you're probably, everybody is probably tired of hearing me say this, but you've got to tell a story that describes a state, a county, a state, a country that people are excited about living in. And I think if you're, story is one party good other party bad i'm not sure that's sustainable and it's a terrible pitch and we, and we all we, as you've said as you've said we have got to start listening to each other again like it's not just a matter of telling people what we want and what we see we've got to listen to what people we want to join us and help us and create a political atmosphere that's best for the long-term health and sustainability of our democracy. We've got to listen to those people and try to coddle together enough people that believe in freedom and democracy and empathy and the, the best outcome for as many of us as possible. We've got to build that coalition without vilifying anybody. Said, I'm tired of talking about it. Me too. If only I could just 
wave me magic microphone and make this happen. Let's talk about national politics. Fucking Ramaswamy talking about 9-11 being an inside job. Is that what you want to talk well, about? We can hit that briefly. But I think there's the bigger thing is that Ramaswamy had this big night at the debate and his numbers actually went down a notch. Nikki Haley actually came out, went yeah, against man. Trump, and she gained five or six points. So that yeah. was really interesting because she was she's been pretty supplicant to Trump right. for a long time. And uh, if you watch the debate, she wasn't. So it was pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah she was the one that caught my attention for sure. Everybody was talking about – to me, Ramaswamy is just fool's gold. I, I think he – not only is he not a viable presidential candidate, I don't think – he thinks he's a viable presidential candidate. When you come out and say Donald Trump is the greatest president of our lifetime, he's running for president. What are you doing here? If you really think he's the best person for the job, then you're wasting your time or else I have to come to the logical conclusion that you're a grifter. That right. There were a bunch of people that ran on the Democratic side last time around that I thought I it just made the hair on the back of my neck stand up. And sure enough, as soon as they were out of the race. They announced that they were founding a third party company or just, I think these races in a way that they didn't used to be have become a launching pad for people who really don't have many avenues to public employment. It's the political equivalent of Instagram influencers, in my right. opinion. And there are, right. there are three or four people that were on that stage. Now, on the other hand, I think Nikki Haley had a very good night. And if it weren't for the fact that she had supplicated herself to Trump for so long, I would have been impressed by her performance. But it's going to be really hard for me to forgive any of the current crop of Republicans for their support for Trump and the MAGA movement and the fact that all but one and a half of them raised their hands when they said that if Trump was the nominee, they'd support him is a, not a red flag for me. It's a black flag yeah. for all of those candidates and the party at this point. So anyway, so you go to the stage and what are you competing against these other people for is the number one question. Secondly, Ron DeSantis is probably, and which I believe I'm, I may be the only person that believes, I think our governor, the reason why she did not, endorsed Trump is because she thought, and maybe she got a promise that DeSantis would pick her as a, because they're very kindred spirits, those two. They're very oh, yeah. similar. They're awkward and weird in public and they don't, they, they don't take anybody else's considerations. They blow up their own accomplishments when the reality is their accomplishments are a, a mess. I, I, Ron DeSantis stands up there and he is like the robot from, I can't even say that. They were too human looking like in, in most of these robot movies, but he, when he smiles, he looks like He's hurting. There's physical pain. Yeah. And then you've got Mike Pence, who my 13-year-old son goes, this could only be better if a fly landed on his head again. Yeah. And then you just go on down the line to that left-hand side. You've got Chris Christie, who has no chance, who decided after just pummeling Donald Trump to go easy on him in this arena, which I think was a disaster. Yeah. And then you get down to Asa who looked, I'm sorry, but whoever is doing his makeup, he please make him less cadaverish next time <laughs> because, and, and he didn't attack the way that he needed to attack. So right. the, the numbers, and then this Ramaswamy dude who I find he is like in every Disney movie, there's that one skinny little character that is there for comic relief. Comic relief you know? Yeah. 
standing next to Pumbaa and saying weird, shitty things. That's what he was doing. But he, I, I saw the best meme for him the other day. It said, as a doctor or an academic, please listen to my credentials and my experience versus you and your confidence. Because right. he just does say everything like, like it's the absolute truth. And then he shines what my daughter said were his 247 teeth and decides that he's the smartest guy in the room. The rest of that crew, I don't even know who the hell some of them were. One guy standing up there, he had a, a Montana, no, not Montana, the South Dakota, North Dakota government, whatever he had, he had just popped his hamstring or his Achilles and he's standing up there in pain and obviously on drugs. Is this the best that today's Republican Party can do? That's the question I have. The answer is obviously no, they could do better. I, I don't know who those people are, but before <laughs> before you get better, you've got to stop breathing the poison air that you're pumping into the get all those candidates together in one place. I'll expand on what you said. Pence is like a Stephen King character. I'm afraid that as soon as you give him the control of the nuclear football he's going to get he's going to cut somebody's hand off to make the thing work like <laughs> at this point like he's he seems to me like invested in the end of the world so he can say see i told you farquad from the shrek movies tiny and insecure and he's got an agenda but he's not really self-confident enough to achieve it oh my uh, god he is farquad that's just, that's <laughs> it. i can see them lifting him up and putting right. him on the horse and putting his feet into yeah. the longer legs and the, boots yeah the whole the thing. lifts i almost bet you that he put a team to work when he decided that he was gonna woo his now wife he didn't do it himself he people they're like you know all right how do we get this done oh the swami is just a troll i don't know where he's gonna end up when this is all over he's gonna end up selling workout equipment or some kind of goofy tennis racket with uh, sights on it like a rifle or I don't know. But longst and Asa, I've said this to you before, Asa is the Mr. Burns character from The Simpsons. It's only a matter of time before he starts gripping his hands together like, good, very good. And another guy that the older he gets just looks like he's sleeping in a coffin and drinking the blood of his enemy. Yeah, he had the opportunity to say what he's been saying, because I, mean, I listen to him on the Bulwark right. podcast, I listen to him yes. in some of the places, and he takes these giant shots at Trump, and he says, we don't need this. And what he says, I don't agree with most of Asa's politics, right. but what he says about Trump, I'm like, okay, now, all right, now you are saying the right things right now. That He says he's dangerous. He says he, he shouldn't even be allowed within uh, 10 miles of the White House. He right. says these things. Then they ask the question, who amongst you will vote for him if he's the nominee? And Every hand but one and a half went up because there's debate right. around whether or not Christie raised his hand. Right. I don't think he did, but that's Christie in a nutshell, right there. He didn't. It's not a yo or no or a yes. It's like a side hand thing. That's exactly how he would govern. Yeah, but then Timon raises his hand and says, "Timon, Timon." Yeah. Timon. <laughs> he raises his hand. And he's Donald Trump's the very best president of the 20th and the 21st century. And I'm like, well, okay, so you're lumping him in with Roosevelt, Ike, Kennedy. Come on. Just put him on Mount Rushmore now. The It's just, it Trump was just Rushmore. verbal fellating of a candidate that was just so annoying. And, and also from a standpoint of just of advertising and promotion, if you think one of the people that you're running against is the greatest president of all time, what in the hell are you doing running for president? Just support that person. Yeah, exactly. Lunatic. <laughs> I, 
It just I have not thought about that, but it's like, like, who is on this guy's team? Hey, man, maybe don't say he's the best president of all time while you're running for president, while he's running for president. <laughs> Crazy well, stuff. That's just it. I think the weirdness of the times that we're living in is the fact that there were there was virtually nobody up there that was willing to take shots at a person who is running against them. But the interesting thing about the whole debate to me was whatever her real name is, Nikki Haley, because she actually took some for real shots at her friend and mentor, DJT, and she took them, uh, they were substantive shots, said that they, she said the things that needed to be said, which really surprised me because she has been living in his shadow for a long time and she refuses to say anything bad about him. So yeah, that was very surprising from my standpoint. Yeah, to me, I, I agree. If I could just, if it was just that debate, if we could put that into a time capsule and I was not aware of anything that had happened before that, then I would have said by far Nikki Haley was the candidate that I was most impressed with. However, literally up until that moment, she had not been able to find a way to say a single negative word about Donald Trump. And so it makes me wonder when about face like that makes it looks like I can't trust you because you're willing to say whatever you have to in a moment to promote yourself. You don't, what did Stuart Stevens say? Like, how do you change your most closely held political beliefs in a moment with those weren't your most <clears throat> closely held political beliefs? If you could just abandon them, it's like you don't have any. Frankly, this is one of the things that drove me crazy about Hillary Clinton. There was the whole 3 a.m. phone call thing. Like my joke from the beginning about that was that the problem wasn't that you didn't want her answering the phone at 3 a.m. It's that she wouldn't have an answer for you until 3 a.m. the next day because she would need to go out and focus group how to respond to the 3 a.m. phone call. Incapable of making a decision. I want and say what you want. I, I'll confess I voted for Asa Hutchinson for governor twice. Yeah, I should be predisposed to be team Asa at this point, but yeah. it just feels a drop of fresh water and a saltwater ocean at this point. I just don't understand when it matters. As long as the four-time indicted, convicted of sexual assault, pro-Russia, we should temporarily get rid of the Constitution. As long as that guy is the head of the Republican Party, I, I think the rest of these people are just the also-rans, the, the people that will put their hands up and say, "What? who me at the Nuremberg trials. So uh, we'll end it with out. this somewhere <laughs> in Arizona, about two meters below the surface of the earth. John McCain is shaking his head saying, you fuckers. Let's talk about the administration's efforts to wipe black people out of Arkansas history. Can we? This last week, I've been infuriated by this uh the way the administration has the sanders administration has talked about the ap african-american history class every time they open their mouths to explain why they've done it it just gets worse as far as i'm concerned and this has bothered me for a long time and i haven't really found the way to discuss it but they're, they're used to the word indoctrination like it it seems like it's become just a blanket phrase that they're throwing out anytime anybody wants to teach anything that is contrary to their worldview it's anything that that in any way contradicts their the points and history for example that they want 
promoted, they just rubber stamp as indoctrination. And the, the point that I would make is that if you are not willing to approach people with the truth and you want to not as an aside we use the phrase historical revision a lot revisionist history Uh, revisionist history is normal as you get more information or archaeological evidence or you uncover paperwork or whatever you know you're going to revise the, the history that you've taught all before this is historical negationism it's where they want to say that the history that happened didn't actually happen. And the most blaring recent evidence of this is the Florida Department of Education deciding that they're going to say slavery was actually not as bad as we've made it out to be because people learned a trade. And I hate to, I don't want to be smug about this, but that makes sense if you erase literally every tidbit of context around the practice of slavery. Not to be too blunt, but dead people don't learn trades. People that are drowned on ships before they ever reach the mainland United States did not learn a trade. People that were lynched or beaten to death or starved to death did not learn trades. And the fact that we have to stop in the, at this point in time, I've said this to you before, where I thought at least we don't have to keep going over this ground, right? We can, slavery bad. I, th- I thought we had pretty much established as a, a nation that it was far from our finest hour. And we did not, we fell well short of the greatest aspirations of what we hoped our country would be. And to find myself in a situation where at this point in my life, I'm having to remind anyone, let alone one of the two political parties in this country, that slavery cannot be freshened up and rolled out as a a new product that wasn't as bad as we thought it was the first time around. It's just horrifying to me. I'm not sure that's – I'm not sure that's – it's all related to demographics. Smart Republicans who are – Smart, evil Republicans all know that white people will be the minority somewhere around 2040 to 2050. And the fear keeps the movement together, but also fear of losing that majority status and what would come after that becomes very prevalent on their minds. And so they start trying to figure out how can we maintain control of this? How can we get the white folks to be a little bit more cohesive together? And that's when it that's when it becomes time to to roll out things like slavery is part of our history. It wasn't a beautiful part of our history. We are who we are now and look at us now. And by the way, slaves were treated pretty well after slavery was over, right. which is all false. But in trying to weave together this new story, it's trying to combat the fact that in about 20 years, the white reign in America is going to be over. And the interesting part is if you're smart and you know that time is coming, then it looks like you would be trying to prepare yourself a soft landing for when it happens, right. right? And to be less racisty, more accepting of everybody around you, and more accepting of this change and diversity, which is yeah. what this country all we've all been told melting pot. Now it's going to be a melting pot. Republicans are aware of it and they want to. This is a last gasp of trying to yeah. cement white values that even most white people don't totally agree with into the community so that and it won't it, it, it simply 
will not work. Even now, people find this type of talk to be very disgusting in a way, right? And so if we reach a point where it's 50% white people and 50% a mixture of everybody else, those old ways are going to be gone. Whether And that's what they're worried about. But they're doing it the wrong way. To secure what America once was, we should be talking about an America where everybody works together and everybody lives together and everybody is in harmony together. And that's simply not the way they're talking. Not teaching African-American history because they believe that pointing out that there are differences equals racism is the most ridiculous thing there is. And it just screams to me, it just screams fear. It screams fear. I, I got to control this story right now because if it gets out of my hands, then they're going to exterminate us. And that's what we would do. Exactly. Because that's what we would do. Yeah. And the interesting thing is if we spend the next 20 years ginning up this even more racial disparity between groups, then they are going to be pissed when they finally take over. That's the frustrating irony here is that to refuse to discuss this, to to whitewash it, yes, I use that phrase deliberately, is indoctrination. Yeah. To ignore the actual truth and try to purify something else out of it and say, no, it isn't. The I hate to break it to them, but the word is out. People already know, and they're not going to forget the Bible. The Old Testament was basically written in the oral tradition during the times that the Jews were being held captive by the Babylonians. And hundreds of thousands of years later, we still remember. It's just maddening. And to lie by omission, to try to make yourself feel better. I just don't see the long-term gain in what they're doing. And my final word on this, I know I've gone too far or too long. The ironic part of this is that what what Sarah Huckabee Sanders has done is guarantee that 50 years from now, 60 years from now, when we finally do get around to teaching AP American, African American history, what she's doing right now is going to be pointed to as an example of exactly what they don't want to talk about now. Right. This is exactly the same kind of bullshit that was happening in the 19th. We're not going to let these kids into our school. All she's doing is saying, we're not going to talk about this in our schools. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. And to be so short-sighted that you can't figure out when the Little Rock Nine comes out and says, hey, you're on the wrong side of this thing. You should probably look around and see what you're promoting and who your allies are and reassess the situation. I mean, but nobody's going to see it that way. And then when you couple in all these other demographic trends that uh, the Republican Party now is more, the trend has gone that Democrats have become more college educated over time as a whole. Republicans have become more rural and less college educated over time. And look, I'm fully aware that you can become a really productive, smart, productive member of society without a college degree. For That's sure. not the issue. But when you talk about the mass of people within an organiz- within a party or an organization like this Thought leaders are coming out of it with high school diplomas or less versus people who have college degrees, et cetera, the worldview for those two parties is simply going to be different. And maybe it's not better or worse, but it is going to be different. And you can see it in the way that Republicans are trying very hard to control the uh, academic progress of high schools and the what's taught and what's not taught. They say the things that are right. We need to bring back civics so that everybody understands how the government works, but they want to bring back civics so that everybody understands how the government works through the eyes of a 
radical Republican agenda. And that stuff is scary as hell. Constitution camp is nothing I want oh. to go to or send my kids to. Yeah. But these demographic trends are going to continue, right? So Democrats are going to become more and more the college-educated party. They're going to be the party of urban and suburban settings. The Republicans are going to be more the party of suburban and rural settings. And it's it produces a couple of different Americas, especially when you've got the predominant news source for one group or the other telling them a story. This guy on Twitter the other day, he's just like, you couldn't get me to step foot in Seattle. I would kill myself oh. before I'd go into that war zone country. And I was like, I was there two years ago during closer to the time when everything was hot. And it was absolutely stunningly beautiful place. Do they have problems? Yeah, they got a shit ton of problems. But at the end of the day, it's a beautiful city with a lot of progressive good people living there and kids that are happily playing in the park, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And so as, as long as we become more insular into our in our small communities, and we don't travel as much as we used to and, and feel no need to travel out. I don't need to leave the state of Florida. There was a guy saying right. something like that the other day. So then you cannot really reliably comment on what's going on in Seattle, Portland. Every city has right. trouble, right? Every right. city has trouble. The other thing that they keep saying that we're not going to teach stuff that makes people hate America. Have they shown us the, the slightest bit of evidence that's a true thing that happens? Somebody takes a class and they went in America lovers and they came out as anti-American communists. I just... Because the definition of America hater has become people who ask questions about America. If right. you have a curiosity about why something works the way that it works, then suddenly there must be a reason you're asking these questions. And I bet it's because you've been you've been indoctrinated by a, a lefty a college professor or high school yeah. teacher or something like that. And That's it's another good point. Where are Sarah Huckabee Sanders? She when the the election was at sixty five percent of the vote she got. I think it's 65% of the vote. Where are these leftist indoctrinators that have entered our schools through villainous subterfuge with the long-term goal of turning our children into America haters? Who is the, presumably it's, it's one of these F-rated schools listening to Sarah talk where the worst offender of this is happening. She should be able to, she's probably got a list, right? Somewhere. Why haven't we heard this list? Tell me the names of the 10 worst America hating indoctrinators in the state of Arkansas. It doesn't make sense that they're out there. That's because they don't exist. And because they don't exist. They've but created the, this problem out of whole cloth. And it it's another boogeyman that drives people to the polls and convinces them to give them what they really want, which is a stranglehold on anything that contradicts their worldview being taught in American or Arkansas schools. Yeah. And by the way, they're the first line of communication between your child who may have thoughts that they that they may be gay or they may have thoughts right. that they that something's going on that they can't explain. But they know that their parents are so hardcore in their beliefs, they can't go to their parents to talk about it. Right. So they go to the counselor, they go to a trusted teacher and they talk about these things these things. The teacher is the receiver of this communication, not the giver of this communication, but the receiver of this communication. And then the parent gets pissed off because they turn that into a, a fairy tale of you made my kid gay. Right. Or you didn't try to to tell my kid not to be gay, which right. these 
teachers are also the people that see the suicide attempts, the suicidal ideation, and the problems that come with ignoring when someone feels like they're different. And the teachers in trying to be empathetic and trying to be cool with things are more uh, more than often than not labeled as indoctrinators when they're just trying to make sure your kid doesn't go and hang themselves because they can't talk to their parents about some weird feeling that they're having, which may or may not even be the case. So, The modern yeah. Republican Party seems to despise human empathy, which is part of what ran me out of it to begin with. If you're, if part of the underpinnings of the values of your political movement are not concern for your neighbor and your fellow man, which I, that's what compassionate conservatism was about. If that's not part of your movement, then I'm not sure you really have a viable long-term political movement. And to say that, to try to change the definition of concern to explain away the cruelty that you use against young gay kids or their families in some cases is to me is just revolting. And I, I, I don't know, I don't see how long-term this political movement can sustain itself because it's become more and more about excising others than coalition building. Yeah. I think as usual, man, you're like 100% uh, correct, um, but half wrong because I think it's uh, empathy. <laughs> I think it's empathy. You are you are so right about that, but it's the loss of empathy and it's a loss of curiosity. It's being so sure about yourself that you know what a child is feeling or what's going on in their school that you don't ask the question. And if you're so sure about things that you don't ask questions and you have zero curiosity about anything, the first question that you should ask your kid, if they're saying something like that as well, tell me what you're feeling and tell me, or tell me what that looks like. Tell me what that, that feels like for you. And let's talk about it in this safe environment of our home. Yeah. But parents, some parents are so worried about it reflecting badly on them. If they have a gay child or a trans kid or God, uh, left-handed kid right. <laughs> that they're thinking about themselves first and not the kid. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And the fact remains bottom line, Trans and gay kids commit suicide on a rate that is extremely high. And these teachers are just doing the job of trying to keep your kid alive and trying to help them along with something that maybe or maybe not they can't talk to you about. So the whole thing is is bullshit. But I think it all comes back to fear. So it's empathy. It's lack of empathy. It's lack of curiosity. And all that vacuum has been filled with fear about what's coming in the future. Anybody that I talk to that is a hardcore MAGA Trump supporter kind of Republican, and there's a difference. There's a core difference between a good, solid conservative Arkansan and a hardcore MAGA Republican. When I talk to those folks, it's what it, the entire conversation is about what they're, they are trying to take away from me. They're mm -hmm. trying to take away my freedom. They're trying to take away my guns. They're trying to make everybody gay. They're trying to make it uh, a crime to be straight. And yeah, all of these things are contextual conversations that we can have, but nobody's trying to take away your gun and nobody is trying to make your kid gay. And nobody is trying to indoctrinate them to be addicted to porn at the age of 12. None of this stuff is happening. So all it is curiosity going out the window empathy going out the window and the vacuum is filled with fear. And by the way, we've got billions of dollars of media feeding that fear machine daily. Right. I have to, to say for uh, 
a solution in search of a problem. They have been unbelievably effective at creating these fair points without demonstrating any statistical data that backs up what they're saying. It just, the, the fact that they can't tell me which teachers are the indoctrinators, the fact that they don't really have any numbers about trans kids in Arkansas, the, the fact that they can't draw a line between libraries and children somehow magically through osmosis finding out that gay people are a thing it's it's just ridiculous to me that and you said curiosity i think uh curiosity is their enemy at this point they don't want to be curious about things they don't want to learn about things i had a professor once that this is, seems like a really simple moment but it changed my life in a lot of ways. He said, the most important question you can ask about anything, especially your own feelings, is why. The simple question, why? And until you chase a problem down to the fact, to the point where there are no more why questions for you to ask and get answers to, you haven't worked your way all the way through a problem yet. And I, I think the MAGA movement in particular is satisfied to have other people tell them what to think, even when the things that they're being told, no evidence has been provided for, and they can't. No. And they also, they reinforce it by saying, and you already knew this. Right. Uh, because the, you feel the America it. of the 50s was I, idyllic. It, it was right. idyllic. So it's, and you knew this. You knew it was perfect for you. It was great for your grandparents. It was a tire swing and Thanksgiving dinner and all that yeah. stuff. Meanwhile, we're the worst decade in the world for yeah. minorities and people like that. But look, this is all about losing fear of losing power as white people in the country. I, I just don't want to I don't want to be in America where we look at it like that. I think that America is going to be when I work in, in when I worked in the corporate atmosphere, the strongest teams I were on were just colorful teams. Right. Had a lot of people from everywhere. It didn't matter. It's not like, and we never said, and I'm a little bit conservative on this part. We never said we need this many women and we need this many of this, we need this many of that. But when you really have an approach of of putting the best people in the jobs and you are doing that, you wind up with a team that is that's colorful and right. different. And and the last thing you would want to do is micromanage the talent to tell the talent these ideas are off limits. Right. Because you want a vibrant exchange of ideas in the context of that, that marketplace so that you get to the best outcome you can. And right now, we're steering the baseball. We're micromanaging the people on our team and duct taping a third of the mouths of our team closed. And it's frustrating to watch and to see. Yeah. And it's really frustrating for the people who are on the team trying to contribute. contribute. Right. And yeah, it's really interesting that you, that we put it in this, in this format because it's, it's wrong. And we've said it earlier today, even it's unsustainable. And I think the only way to make this work is through autocratic power. I think ideas this bad have to be forced upon people. You're of course going to have a certain percentage of people that go along with it in the beginning because it's their team doing the enforcing. But eventually, probably by the time it's too late, you're going to find something, a line that those people will cross that takes something that you hold dear away from you, and it's going to be too late to get it back.
because you yeah. went along for so long. Yeah. Hey, for a man who told me that he was not inspired today, I, I think he did a great job. I just don't feel all that. I feel bummed out or something. I don't know. I'll live. But anyway, I tried to, I'll, I tried to, uh, I'll I tried to inspire you. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm here. I'm here for you. I'm wafting your greatness. Yeah, my aura wafting all over you. Goodbye. Love you. Goodbye. Talk to you Love soon. You. Bye. Hey, bye.